Just about every day, I, I pass by Beverly Hills Middle School over on Garrett Road, including this morning, uh, we pass by there. And if you've gone by there at all this summer, you know they're doing some sort of construction project there in that front field. They, they scraped it all clean and have been piling up dirt and then smoothing out dirt and then piling up dirt, and they closed the road right next door to it. Uh, Sher, Sherbrooke, I think it is, Sherwood, something like that, Sherbrooke. Uh, it's been closed the whole time, and at one point, that road had this massive hole in it. It must have been, I don't know, 12 or 15 feet wide by 12 or 15 feet deep, and then I don't know how, how like deep into the ground it was, but you could see people in there and barely see like their hard hats and stuff, and I, I always wanted to get closer, but they had it all roped off, and I was curious about what was going on in there. But then that, that hole got filled up, and there was this weird round thing in the middle of it that looked like the base of a street light to come. But then that went away, and, and, and the hole was opened up again. And, and then just today, we drove by, and it looks like it's all done. There's this, the road is open, the ground is paved. The field, the dirt is moving around again. There's stone, there's dirt, there's stone, there's dirt. I don't understand it. The street, the field, I don't understand what they're doing. Why are they doing all of that? It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, to understand it, I would have to gain more of a perspective, maybe talk to someone there, or make some phone calls. But I would need more information than I have. Because looking at it, I don't get it. And as we turn to Psalm 36, as we get close to wrapping up our summer in the Psalms, it's as if... David, who wrote this psalm, King David, it's as if he's answering that question of why are they doing that, not about a construction project, but about other people, about fellow human beings, especially those who do wrong. And he also brings in the perspective of not only understanding people who hurt others, but the God who helps others. Psalm provides that perspective we need, and it starts very negatively, and then it abruptly goes very positively, and it closes with four requests of God, because we don't need, merely need another perspective. We don't merely need more information. We need help from God, and he gives it to us in his word and by his grace and his spirit working in us. So listen closely to these words and gain that perspective on other people, on God, and on how you can not only make sense of things a little better, but begin to love others better. Would you read with me Psalm 36? This is the word of God. For the choir director, <clears throat> I started with the title, you don't have it there. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, verse 1. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. 
He does not despise evil. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. This is God's word. Lord, meet us here today. We pray that these words would be living and active more than ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums, Lord, but they would be perspective-giving, life-giving, life-transforming as we hear and you bless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why? Why are they doing that? How could any reasonable human being think that that, whatever it is, it's a good thing or a good idea. How, how, could a, how could a Christian even agree with those policies or with that person? I'm sure you've asked some form of that question. I think we all have, especially in these days, because we are so polarized. There are so many us and them groups that we can we can identify with as us and against whoever they are groups are all over the place and you know whatever the group is whoever they are we often look at them and just can't understand what they're doing how a reasonable person could think that way act that way but of course they look at us whoever we are and think the same thing. That's part of our life today. And whatever the group, I mean, it's very easy to think about politics, Republicans and Democrats. It's easy to think about the difference between someone who lives in the city and someone who's out in a rural area of the country. It's even, you see it a lot today with employer and employees, us and them. You see it in majority culture and minority cultures whatever those may be, throughout the world, even rich and poor, as well as, of course, Christian and non-Christian. Us and them. It's real. That's a real thing. And I don't get the sense it's going away anytime soon until Jesus comes back. We will have to deal with us and them. It seems to be a part of human nature. 
And given that, reality, we ask, why are they doing that? And I don't think we ask another question after even entertaining that one or just responding to what people are doing. I think the next question we ought to be asking, and we sure don't ask enough, is what do I do with that? If they are doing things I don't understand, even choosing things I think are wrong, what do I do with that? How would you, how, what would you do with, with that? The other party advocates for this position. Someone you identify with as a fellow Christian takes that policy decision. And you think it's wrong. What, what do you do with that? Have you even thought about that? Have you even considered that, just that step, that pause, or do you just respond? And I think in our culture, it's very, very hard not to just respond from the guts. Because if we don't understand, we're very quick to jump to assumptions, right? We're very quick to write in our own story of why they're doing that. We make assumptions, we read between the lines, or very often what we do today, because we're all very busy, right, is we allow someone from our team, one of us, to explain them to us. And we just go with that. And whatever, whatever that powerful and influential person, blogger, talk show, TV, news outlet, whatever it is, whatever they say. So what I would say today, I think this, this psalm is a very challenging psalm. And in fact, we're going to take two weeks to look at it again, Lord willing. Uh, because I think it hits at something that's very important for us as Christians, us, but also for us as people who live in the United States, but also for us as human beings. So wherever you're at, whatever your us is, there, there is something I think in here very powerful for us to consider. Because as someone has said, today in America, there is an outrage industrial complex that prospers by setting American against American. You could say Westerner against Western. You could say human against human, really but especially in the United States, creating a culture of contempt. That is the habit of seeing people who disagree with us not as merely incorrect, but as worthless and defective. That was all a quote. I think, I think that's very true. And I'd like us to think about that. And I'd like us from this psalm to understand the great difference between disagreeing with someone and devaluing them. I'd like us to understand how, how to apply what we read earlier in the passage of loving our enemies without compromising. How we can have strong convictions 
without demonizing those who differ. It's possible. It's super, super hard. But it's possible. And so, it's, it's, it's so possible. And it's such a thing for us, talking to you Christians out there, okay? This is such a reality for us. I want to remind you of some of our history. Some of who we are as Christians. Right? We are the people who would put our lives on the line to reach out to lepers and to the afflicted. We are the people who would take in abandoned babies in the first century left out for exposure because their parents didn't want them and who would up to this day advocate for the life of the unborn, valuing them there. We are the people who created hospitals. For all people, for human beings, without losing who we are as followers of Jesus, as followers of the true God. At our best, brothers and sisters, we value human life. Amen? We believe every human being is created in the image of God. No matter their political party, no matter their policy decisions, no matter their lifestyle, no matter their choices, no matter their treatment of us, no matter their treatment of others, they have value in the eyes of God. And when we're at our best, they have value in our hearts. And it's hard. Because of that key distinction between us and them shows itself in so many ways. And, and as, as we live in a culture that less and less has a Christian influence and more and more heads away from what have been traditional values, it becomes harder and harder. And so as we look at this, this passage, as we look at this psalm, in the context of curated news feeds, in the context of polarized media outlets and conspiracy theories, misinformation, and fake news, as we look at this text, there's a trap for us. As we handle those first four verses that speak of the ungodly, of those who do wrong according to God's standard, there's a trap for us that we can easily use those verses, and this is why I'm spending so long just on the beginning, right, okay? <laughs> this was going to be the intro, but this is the sermon today. We, we are in danger as we look at and see clearly what is right and wrong, and as we look at a passage that tells us objectively that some people do wrong and that some people can do right, there's a trap for us. That we can use this to puff ourselves up and tear others down. To be who the world, who they, 
<laughs> say we are, but we know in our hearts we're not. We can use this passage, especially in our day, and I want, us, I want to spare us from that. I want us to find in this psalm, which the main reason, I'll be honest with you, the main reason I picked this psalm months ago was I really wanted to sing the song we just sang before the sermon. That's why. I, I love that. And that song, I don't know if you noticed it or not, was taken from the second part, right, the middle part of this passage. And, and as I dug into the passage, I thought, oh, wow, now I've got to talk about ungodliness and wickedness and all of these things. We don't have to do that, but it's here. And it's here for our good. It's here for instruction, for giving us life and hope. So to avoid that danger, to avoid puffing ourselves up, we need to be aware of those things. Because here's the other thing. This is hard for us today in our, in our polarized society, right? Where we see us and them so clearly. It was hard in Jesus' day before social media was even a thing. Flip over to Luke 18 with me. We're going to start a series on the parables uh, next month, Lord willing. And we'll, we'll look at this parable in more detail, but I, I can't avoid not bringing it up right now. If we look at Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus here in the first century, right, is, is teaching and explaining the way of God, talking about the kingdom of God. And we read in Luke 18, verse 9, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were pleasing to God, they did what was right in God's eyes. And they viewed others with contempt. They were judgmental. They devalued, dehumanized other people. Put them down. Ridiculed them. Verse 10, Luke 18. This is the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not like them. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, <laughs> or even like this tax collector over here, God. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Probably thinking even down to the little garden seeds. I, Lord, I give you one out of every ten peaches I pick off of my tree. You know, that's how thankful, God, you ought to be for me. Essentially what he's saying. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified, considered right with God, in other words, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this passage, but just to think about it this way. 
It was easy to be a judgmental person in the first century if you knew the Word of God and tried to apply it to your life. You could narrowly focus on what you were doing and say, I'm doing pretty good. So much so, Jesus says, that your prayers could turn into essentially appeals to God for why he's so lucky to have you on his team. That you become us, you and God, against like everyone else. And really it's like, you know, you and, and maybe God, because, you know, God, you're welcome. That, that attitude slips in so easily. It is one of the dangers of knowing God's will and having a desire to put it into practice. That we can become self-satisfied. That we can puff ourselves up by the things we're doing, especially as we narrow the focus. I mean, there's an irony in that. That as we can condemn others and speak ill and name call, we miss just how angry we are, sinfully angered, angered, and miss the name-calling we engage in, or the underlying just devaluing. That, is that not the case when you're driving down the highway and you're just calling someone names? For the way they're driving, be it too fast or too slow, you know, that's just a small thing. And then you get on start watching the TV, you start tuning into your news feeds, and, and whether you voice it or not, it's very easy to put others down, especially when they don't do the things you know are right and the things you are doing. That's the danger for us, and that's why I'm spending some time here, that's why this is going to be the main thing we're just going to focus on today, and we'll really unpack the psalm, Lord willing, next week, because I want you to really benefit from this amazing psalm that has way more than just that wonderful song, Your Love, O Lord, which it has. I'd encourage you to listen to, I think Third Day has a version, a couple other people have a version. It's wonderful. We sang it great today, too. I'm not knocking our song, but to keep it with you during the week. Um, because to benefit from the psalm, you really need to have a perspective on the psalm itself if you don't understand where it's going, you're not going to get the most out of the psalm. you you might even abuse it, misuse it. Because if you don't understand that us and them is real, if you don't, uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't understand that you, there, there's another alternative to contempt, there's another alternative to, to hostility toward people who disagree with you, that there's actually a way you can have a healthy disagreement with someone, that you can respect other people, even when you disagree with them. That, that can happen. But to avoid it, look, just a quick overview of the psalm before we dig in next week. So David goes negative, as we read in those first four verses. He talks about the ungodly and the problems with their mouth, with their ears, with their eyes, with their hearts. Then he goes really super positive about God. You know, God's righteousness. God's loving kindness, God's justice, all, all of those wonderful attributes of God that he lists there. Right? It goes super positive. But then, to really understand the psalm, 
I want you this week especially, just think about the requests that he makes. After going negative about the ungodly, after going super positive about God, his loving kindness, faithfulness, righteousness, judgments, preservation, look at the, look at, look at the requests that David makes. The first set, there's two requests in verse 10. And there's two requests in verse 11. The first set are positive. David is saying, keep this happening, God. Keep your loving kindness to those who know you. Verse 10, continue your loving kindness to those who know you. The second request, same verse, positive. And your righteousness, keep your righteousness to the upright in heart. Notice this is an us prayer. David is praying for his team, for those who know God that they would continue to experience the loving kindness of God and they would continue to experience God's doing goodness. That it would work in their hearts as they are upright. That they would continue to be upright. That they would be right with God because of His rightness extended to them, pulled toward them. This is an us and them kind of prayer focused on us. And that's okay. It's okay to pray especially for our team as Christians. And notice what he does. He's praying for God's people to know more of God, to have a healthy relationship with God. That's his first request. After talking about the ungodly and talking about God, it's like, God, give us more of a relationship. Continue this good relationship we have with you. We want to be with you, God. Keep it going. We need your help, God. Keep it going. We need you to build us up, strengthen our relationship with you, O oh Lord. And we'll talk more about the words loving kindness and righteousness next week, Lord willing. But for now, just think about those two positive things. Make that your prayer this week. You'll pray for people's sicknesses and surgeries and brokennesses and grief and all those kind of things. Pray, though, as well, maybe first and foremost, to set the perspective for all those other prayers that God's people would continue to experience his loving kindness, that they would continue to experience his righteousness that would lead them to be upright, that they would have a healthy relationship with God. Because you know what? If you get cured from cancer, you know what? If your marriage is healthy for 72 years, but God's not in it, that's all you got. But if your marriage is for 72 years and you know you're going to live forever, that you're with God, it's way more and it never ends. Your marriage will look different in heaven. We don't have time to get into that. But that's the perspective, right? That it's more than just now. David's requests make that super clear. Pray for a healthy relationship for, for God's people. And then look at what David does in the second set of requests. They're negative. David's saying, don't let this happen. Don't let these two things happen. Look what he says in verse 11. Lord, don't let the foot of pride come upon me, and don't let the hand of the wicked drive me away. Keep, in other words, the first request is, keep pride from conquering me as if it were an ancient king defeating another king and putting his foot upon the neck 
of that conquered king laying on the ground to say, I have beaten you. You are done. That's David's uh, poetic way of saying, keep pride from me, Lord. Keep pride from conquering me. It's, it's personification, right? It's treating pride as if it were a person doing something. He does that with transgression in verse 1. We'll talk about that next week. But David says, keep pride from me. In other words, what? Let me be humble, Lord. And the second one is what? Keep the ungodly from driving me away from, from God, from God's ways. Keep the ungodly from causing me to flitter around. The image is the, the, image is the one of being a wanderer, being restless. It was the curse of Cain when he was sent from uh, Eden, that he would be a wanderer. They would not be settled. You know, that's the picture that David, David says, Lord, let not the ungodly turn me into some sort of wanderer from you. Keep me close to you. Those are both very personal prayers. I would encourage you to pray them as well, especially before you turn on the news. Maybe even instead of watching the news or turning to Facebook, maybe you pray, Lord, for humility. That when I turn on the TV or that, you know, that prayer, when, Lord, you know, I've been humble and all those kind of things, right? But now I have to get up out of bed. You know that prayer? I can't remember how it goes. I just thought of it. Like, you know, before you turn on the news feed or whatever, before you get out of bed, you know, Lord, let me be humble. I can't do that on my own, Lord. Pride is coming for me. Because I'm going to do something good and I'm going to be tempted to think it's all me that I did that. I'm going to be tempted to give myself two credits, narrow my focus to miss the places where I've done wrong. Lord, keep, keep me from that. Keep the ungodly from driving me away from you. Lord, keep me faithful. Work in me that I would be faithful. Now just think about that. These are, these are mostly like us prayers and like me prayers, David prays. For us and for me, he says. Notice what they, they don't do. They don't, they don't tear anyone down. They do set a divider. They do recognize a difference. And the fundamental difference is a relationship to the Lord. And it's not unreasonable, is it? To say, Lord, those people who know you, let them know you. They want to know you. They're with you. Let them know you. Lord, those people who don't know you, let them not push me away from you. That's not, that's not mean. That's no sort of phobia of one kind or another, right? That's not cancellation. That's saying, Lord, let me have the authentic relationship with you. Let me, let me be real and continue with you. Lord, give us a healthy relationship with you. And in fact, what's he saying in those humility and faithfulness prayers? He's saying, Lord, let me be a good person to other people. You know, pride is so ugly. We, we only ever really see it in other people, though. And it is ugly. So what a good prayer to say, Lord, keep me humble. And then he closes with this request. He says in verse 12, actually, it's not even a request. Let me rephrase that. Those, there was the two sets of requests. This is a vision. This is a conviction. And he closes with it, and it's what we're going to close with. He says in verse 12, There the doers of iniquity 
have fallen. Those, those who are twisted from God's standard or misuse it even, there they have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. You know, in other places, David talks as king of Israel in that time period of, of conquering enemies and that kind of thing. That is not the sense here. It's not even clear where there is, but if you look through scriptures, especially the Psalms of David, you realize he's kind of got a vision of, this is the reality that's coming. It's sort of a prophecy vision right now. It's a future. It's like a reminder that there is a place and there is a day coming when those who do wrong will fall, when they will be thrust down and won't be able to rise, that there is a judgment coming. That vision, that conviction is said to whom? It's not preached on the campus of Drexel telling people in malicious ways they're going to hell. This is a reminder to God's people that it's going to be settled in the end. That God will do what is right in His timing. And that will include judgment. And if, if he's saying that to God's people, he's saying it for two reasons. One, to encourage us to say, endure, persevere. It will be made right. He's also saying it as a warning and an encouragement and a reminder, hey, this is a big deal. Remember whose team you're on. Remind yourself of these very things be firm in your convictions about what's happening. And this is, this is, this is, what I, this is how to package this up, okay? And what we'll explore a little more next week as we dig in. So to have convictions, which is the essence of being us, right? Us is rooted in some distinction, some values, some beliefs, right? Some commonality. So from, a, from a, a follower of God perspective, to be us is to have certain convictions about God, about humanity, about the problems in the world, about the solutions, about all kinds of things, right? And so if we bring that back around to our day, how we, how, how we handle other people, it actually is most helpful... If you want to have healthy disagreements, if you want to have healthy interactions and respectful interactions with other people, you have to know what you believe. You have to be sure of your convictions. And then be able to listen to what someone else is saying. At the same time, with the humility to say... I'm, I'm just a person. I'm very valuable in God's sight. I'm created in the image of God, but I am not God. So in my convictions, I know I could be wrong or mistaken. And so to have that tension, that's part of the problem with us and them, right? Is that we have to have some convictions and they have convictions and then how do we handle the differences? Well, first of all, we have to know what we believe to be able to understand the differences and to engage on them. And if you'll find that if you have your convictions and are able to hold them tightly and loosely, you will be less defensive. Right? It, 
If you're convinced of a particular form of baptism, or if you're convinced of a particular future outcome of the way God's going to bring about the end of history, if you're convinced about a particular viewpoint on right and wrong, and, and the, the value of human life from the womb, right? if you have that conviction, you don't need to insult anyone to present it. You will never win anyone to your side by insulting them. In fact, I was reading some research that says when you're insulted for your beliefs, you double down on them. And so to be able to say, you know, I don't think same-sex marriage is a good idea. To say, I think God created man and woman for those two only to have intimate relationships. Just to have that conviction. You know, then you can read something from someone who it claims to be a Christian and tries to make a biblical case for something you disagree with. You can have that. What's, gonna, what's threatened? What is threatened for you? Is your team going to lose points? If you're wrong, if, it's most likely if you're defensive, it's because you're not... Sure. How do you get sure? Come to God's Word. Come back to this God. And you know what? In the end, recognize you don't have to be that sure. You don't have to have an answer for every single thing that hopes. You have to have an answer for your hope. And the simple answer for that is, you know what? I believe in a God who made me in His image. And I believe He is a rescuing God. I believe He's a God who always does what is right. I believe He is a God who is faithful, who is loving kindness epitomized, who is full of mercy and grace, who loves me so much that he puts up with my own stupidity, my own hard-heartedness. In fact, he wins that victory over me that I might be humble and I have a hope for being humble in his sight and doing what is right. That's the ultimate hope, not, not anything else. Way more we could say on this, way more we need to dig into with this topic, but I want to leave it with that that you would meditate on this psalm with the perspective of those requests that David makes. Read the psalm this week, especially mindful of verses 10 and 11. And make them your prayer for us. Make them their prayer, your prayer for you this week. That then we could fill it out next week. Looking, looking at what, what are the problems with doing wrong? And what is the great hope and help that God offers to us? That then we might even pray more effectively. We might be even more transformed by these words. Right now, would you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. And I pray that you would work in our hearts this week. We pray, oh Lord, that you would keep your loving kindness to us. Lord, that you would keep giving your righteousness to us. That our hearts would be more and more in line with your heart, including a love for our enemies. Which would mean, O oh Lord, that you would keep pride from mastering us. That you would make us humble. Lord, that you would keep the ungodly, those who do wrong, from driving us away from wandering from your ways, wandering from you, 
that, Lord, we would understand our convictions and be faithful and humble. That we would listen to one another and not be afraid of what the world has to offer. But as those ungodly come at us, and even as people on our team threaten with harshness, that we would lift our eyes to you. You alone, you are loving kindness. You alone are righteousness. You alone are the one who is just. And you alone are faithful. And you preserve us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.